0: In the sixth grade or younger, there is a special service, children's service downstairs, and you're welcome to go at this time for that. I'd like the rest of you to open your Bibles with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 15. I want to read you a prayer of Paul. By the way, carry that little number you did at the very beginning with the deep and... The interesting thing about that is one of, the, one of the passages that I've given in your prayer guide is the Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, and that's right out of that prayer that we would know the, the depth and the length and the width and the breadth and the height and the, everything concerning the love of Christ, and that's one of Paul's prayers in Ephesians 3. But Ephesians 1.15 begins, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I have not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. So Paul's saying, every time I think about you guys, I pray for you. And then this is what he prays. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you may know the... Hope to which He's called you. The riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. The incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is like the working of His mighty strength which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given not only in the present age but in the one to come, and God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything. You know, I was, uh, before we leave our study on prayer, I was going to be coming back and spending some time talking about the different ways that we find people praying in the Bible. The assumption is that if there are prayers in the Scripture, we can learn from them. They're there for examples. They teach us something about how to pray. And then I was thinking about the kinds of trouble that the people in these various churches were having. Ephesus, for example, uh, the book of Acts tells us the story of how the church in Ephesus was started. And that was a, a town where there was a great deal of spiritism going on. They were, they were very much involved in demonism, in witchcraft, in the occult. And and the scripture says that when the gospel came to Ephesus and the people caught a hold of the vision of Christ, they realized what Jesus could do for them and their need for a relationship with God, that they gave up their, their witchcraft and their demonism and their occult practices and they brought all of their paraphernalia, their... Amulets, their charms, their magic books, their potions, all those kind of things. They brought them and made a big pile, a bonfire in the middle of town, and they burned them. The Bible says that the value of the stuff they brought, if it had been purchased on the market, and at some time it was by those people, would have been 50,000 denarii. Now, denarius was a day's wage, so 50,000 days' wages. Now, there's 365 days in a year, so there's about three years and a thousand days wages. So so there's about 150 years of income worth in this pile. We're not talking, you know, just a little bit of stuff. This whole pile of stuff that they burned up. These people had a radical transformation in their life, and it cost them. First of all, they turned their back on all the spirits they had been appeasing, which made them unhappy. And then for some of them, it meant a division in their family. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to divide between a father and his mother, between a husband and a wife, between brothers and sisters. I came to bring division. We don't like that passage of Scripture. We, we like the passage you know, where everybody gets saved and goes to church and they live happily ever after. But Jesus said for some people, it will cost them family relationships to follow Jesus Christ. Other people are going to pay the price of loss of business. Some people are going to lose their economic stability because they have followed Christ and they they, they can't practice the way they've been doing. Or other people aren't going to buy from them. That was happening to the Hebrews. In the, the letter to the Hebrews... They were suffering financially because people wouldn't buy from their shops anymore. You people are Christians. We hate you. We're not going to buy your meat. We're not going to buy your produce. We're not going to buy your leather goods. We're, we're done with you. We're going to go shop where people aren't Christians. And so it was costly to them. So we've got all these things going on in these people's lives. you know, And, and, they're, and they're right where you live kind of stuff. They have job problems, they have family problems, they have health problems, they have all these kinds of personal problems. They've got things going on in their life that require attention. And so Paul says, I'm praying for you. Now, how would you like to get a letter from the Apostle Paul in the midst of some of your difficulties? And the Apostle Paul says, I'm praying for you. You say, man, am I glad to hear that. It's nothing like having the Apostle Paul to pray for me. We get this weird idea, you know, that people with titles and big names in, in the church can do great things. So, uh, now i got the Apostle Paul praying for me. And the Apostle Paul says, I'm praying for you. you say, wow, because I really need a job, man. My marriage is in trouble. I, I've followed Jesus Christ, and, and my spouse hasn't, and we're, we've got nothing but friction at home. I thought Jesus would make things better. Now, it's just friction all the time. Or, or you know, I've got... I've got health problems. I, I'm I'm it's sick and I need to be healed. I'm glad you're praying for me. By the way, what are you praying? And Paul says, "Well, I'm praying that God will give you a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the true knowledge of Jesus." You know, most people are not like Ron at this moment. <laughs> it's like, I need to get well, man. You're praying that I have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the true knowledge of Jesus. Yeah, and I'm praying that you will know what is the hope of His calling. I'm praying that you'll know the surpassing riches of the glory of His grace and the inheritance of the saints. I'm praying that you'll know the power of God in your life. You say, man, I need a job. Why aren't you praying for me to get a job? And Paul says, I'm praying that you'll know Jesus better. And I realized as I started to talk about ex- explaining these prayers of the Scripture I thought, "Eh, wait a minute, we're going to have to back up and give some context. Because so much of our praying is focused on the wrong stuff. And we don't understand why the people in the Bible prayed these strange and weird prayers, because we don't have a good context, a good perspective, a good understanding of what our real needs are. So I want to take some time this morning to set the stage before we get into some of these individual prayers and future messages, to set the stage for that by understanding the context. First of all, Jesus tells us some very interesting things in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, which begins in Matthew 5 and goes through Matthew 7, that middle chapter, chapter 6, is all about prayer. It basically focuses on prayer. And in that passage, Jesus says something very interesting as he's talking about the lilies of the field, and birds of the air that don't spin or toil, the lilies of the field. And he says, but not a sparrow falls without your father's knowledge and, and not not a single uh, lily in all of its beauty. Solomon didn't have clothes like these lilies have. God clothes the lilies of the field. He, he gives them life and beauty and vibrance. He says, God's going to take care of you. But he says... I want you to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all this other stuff will be added. And all of a sudden, Jesus begins to give us a priority. We are both spiritual and material beings. You go all the way back to Genesis, and you find when God had made everything else, caused the earth to spring vegetation, all that kind of stuff. When we get to man, it says, God fashioned this body out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils his own spirit, and that man became a living soul. We are both spirit and, and matter. We are spiritual and physical in nature. God knows we're physical. He knows we're limited in this world. He knows that we have needs and limitations. God is aware that we have to eat. He knows we, need to, we have to have a job. He knows that we have health problems. He knows that we get sick and need healing. God knows our needs. But Jesus says, the thing I want you to be concerned about is God's kingdom. Before you even open your mouth to pray, God knows what your need is. So you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and He will take care of you in all these other areas. Make your priority the focus of God's glory, God's kingdom, your life in its spiritual development. Keep God's goals as your number one priority, and God will take your issues into account. We need to have that priority, that context of priority. <clears throat> the other thing that comes as a surprise to many Christians, I know it does because we're always surprised when it happens to us. Jesus says, and by the way, there's a, a misprint, it's Matthew, It's a John 16.33, not 6.33, John 16.33. Jesus says this, In this world, you will have, Tribulation. Does that sound like a a possibility or or a guarantee? It sounds to me like Jesus is saying trouble is going to come. It's inevitable. In this world, you will have tribulation. Now listen, there's two kinds of trouble. Every human being on the planet has trouble. Nobody gets through life, you know, trouble-free. Everybody encounters difficulties. They they may have financial challenges, they may have career challenges, they may have physical, emotional, or mental handicaps, they may have other issues in their life, they, they, they may have relationship problems, but everybody has trouble. However, Christians are going to get a double dose. I know you don't want to hear that, but that's the reality. Because you now live in the world and you have an enemy. As long as you were skating along, footloose, fancy free, and God was nowhere in your thinking, the devil didn't care how successful you were. He didn't care what good things happened to you because he already had you in his clutches. But Jesus says, when you follow me, when you love me, when you step out of the world system and put your eyes on Jesus Christ, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. But I want you to be encouraged because I've overcome the world. Now, I want you to put that statement in context. Do you know when Jesus said that? Thursday night before he got arrested and killed on a cross the next day. Okay? That's the context. You're going to have trouble in the world. Cheer up. I've overcome and conquered the world. And the next day is hanging on a cross. It's like, what do you mean? This doesn't look like conquering to me. But there's a powerful message there. Because in the cross and in the resurrection... There is triumph over the problems of the world. But we have an enemy. And he's going to, be, going to be coming against us. The enemy is going to be bringing trouble in every direction. That's just what he does. And, and we need as believers to wise up. That's what Paul says in, in Ephesians. Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're not fighting human beings. Talked about this just a week or so ago. We're not fighting human beings. Our problem lies with spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms that is out to do us in. Now, the devil doesn't show up as a demon with this hideous looking spirit, you know, that you can say, oh my gosh, there's a demon. He shows up in your wife, in your husband, in your kids, in your boss, at your work. He comes in the form of people who give you difficulties in your life, who are distracting, who are frustrating. Your goals are competing. There are problems and issues that you're facing. And the whole point is to tear you down and wear you out and get you sidetracked. And if you will let him, he will bring a wedge in your family. He'll bring a wedge in relationships. He'll trouble your work environment because he uses those things. Paul says our fight is not people. They're not our struggle. We're wrestling against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realm. We need to understand that following Jesus Christ, does in fact make us a target in the battlefield of life. We are in enemy territory. And the third thing we need to see is that both this world <laughs> and all of our physical lives are passing away. No one likes to think about that. No one likes to think about that. But it's it's a, it's a reality. We were not designed to die so we we avoid death and mortality and all thoughts of it as much as we can. We were designed to live and people cling to life as desperately as they possibly can. But the fact is that one day it's all going to be gone. This past week, if, if you follow the news at all, earlier in the week Ed McMahon died. A little later in the week on the same day, Farrah Fawcett and Michael Jackson died, you know it brings it brings to the world the awareness that no one lives forever. I think Ed McMahon was eighty three or four Vera fawcett was sixty two Michael Jackson was fifty okay nobody lives forever and the thing that occurred to me as I listened to the news broadcast of every one of them. As I drive in the car, listen to one of the news stations. And I heard those. My heart said, I wonder if they knew Jesus. Well, actually, I kind of know. There's no evidence in their lives of any of them that I know of that they knew Jesus Christ. I, I don't know of any evidence. I was kind of sadly, ironically amused to hear, it wasn't, it wasn't broadcast this way on the news, but there was a group of people that are just thrilled to death that Michael Jackson died. you know who that is? His producers and the people that own his products. Because they are selling at an all-time high. The Michael Jackson memorabilia has never brought more money than it has in this last couple of days. Can you imagine the greatest glee that people could have is when you knock off and they make a ton of money because people want to collect your memorabilia? Wow. And it's all passing away. Some of the things that you are most concerned about today in one month are not going to matter. Some of the things that you spend most of your energy on right now in a year won't make any difference. And most of the stuff we give our attention to in 40 years we won't even remember. And as one often quoted pastor said who had been in ministry many years and sat by many deathbeds of many people. And Now that I've been in ministry a few years, I've been there quite a few times myself. And what he said was, I've sat by the bedside of a number of businessmen as they were coming to the end of their life. And he said, I've never heard one of them say I surely wish I had spent more time at the office. It's amazing how at that point in time, that doesn't matter. You know that career you're building? Those colleagues you have at work? Friends, I spent, as a volunteer, I knew what I was kind of getting into, but I did it because I enjoyed it. I also did it because I wanted to make a difference for Christ. I became involved in a local rescue squad as a paramedic. For 15 years, I served with a rescue squad, running 911 calls. Beside people, going into all kinds of situations, arm-in-arm, shoulder-to-shoulder, dealing with issues. People that you counted on to protect your life and that you would protect their lives, people that, that you were tight with in those situations. And after 15 years, I resigned. And except for a letter that came a week after my resignation saying, if you don't turn your gear in, we're going to take you to court and sue you, which I had no intention of keeping. and I just hadn't gotten around to turning it in. I think it was a boilerplate letter. But other than that, I have not heard one word from them in the last six years. Someone said, if you want to know how big a difference your life in this world makes, stick your finger in a pool of water and take it out and see what kind of an impression it leaves. I know this is not high on the feel-good scale, But most people are not going to remember you six weeks after you're gone out of their lives. And that corporation that you're dying to serve when they've gotten what they can, they won't care how much you gave. And all the things that we spend our time trying to accumulate, one day is going to go up. In smoke and ashes, this world is passing away and all of its desires. And in the end, there are two things that will matter to you. The relationships you've built with other people. Love will matter to you. And you can't have love by yourself, by the way. (laughs) Unless you're really self-centered. The relationships you've made and whether or not you are in a right relationship with Jesus Christ for eternity. That is the only thing that will matter. All the rest of it's going. Only your relationship with God and with other people will count for eternity. It's all passing away. So now I ask you. When you begin to consider the prayers of Paul for his, for his dear friends in Christ at Ephesus, you have to put into context that God's goals are oriented toward your spiritual development. You have to put into context that we're fighting a battle with an enemy who wants to bring us down. And you have to recognize that most of the stuff in this world that we give our attention to is not going to last. We need that perspective. And then, we need to understand what God's goals are for our lives. One of God's goals is that He desires to have a personal relationship with you. God does not want to be some distant being out there that we worship in the abstract. He wants to know you. And when you think about it, there are are very few people on this planet that really care who you are. What's the first thing that people ask after you introduce yourself and give their name? What's their second question? What do you do? Who are you? What's your name? What do you do? And when you tell them what you do, they are the ones who now filter your response through their grid of value. And depending on what they do, they will determine how important you are for them. So if they're an academic, they want to know how many degrees you have. I was interviewing a candidate one time on the Licensing and Ordaining Committee, and he actually had the audacity to turn to me and ask that question. He says, how many degrees do you have? What, what is your highest earned degree? he was working on his PhD and he wanted to know if I had the right to ask him any questions I won't say what I said at 8 o'clock because this is on tape <laughs> but that was a really dumb question to ask me since I had to approve him, duh he was uh, educated beyond his intelligence if you're A powerful businessman, you want to know how big is your business? How many employees do you have? Listen, even when I go to Christian meetings, they already know what I do. It says Pastor Paul Martin. So you know what they ask? How big is your church? How many are you running on Sunday? How's the offering doing? They want to know how successful I am in terms of attendance and money. Good grief. God wants to know you. He's one of the few people that cares. He is a person, by the way. He's God, but He's a person. He wants to know who you are. He doesn't care about your degrees. Well, not in that way. He does care if you care, frankly. But you're not going to impress him or not impress him on your. Degree. He doesn't. It's not what you do for a living. It's not how much you produce. God wants a relationship with you. He wants to. He made Adam and Eve, put him in a garden, and then we're told every day he came down and took a walk with him. Does that tell you something about God's goals in creation of human beings? Every day he came down and took a walk with them. God wants to have a relationship with you. He's interested in knowing you. He wants you to know Him. Now, He doesn't need to know you in terms of fact-finding. He already knows everything. David says, you are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Isn't this beautiful? For some people it's kind of scary, but I think it's kind of comforting. David says, God knows when I stand up and when I sit down. That's like, pretty, that's like pretty focused, don't you think? David even goes so far as to say he knows the very hairs on my head. And he subtracted the ones that washed down the shower drain this morning. I mean, he is keeping tabs on you. He knows. He cares. He knows what you think before the thought enters your mind. He knows where you're headed. God is interested in you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Isn't that an amazing thing? One of God's goals is to get to know you. So you know what? Sometimes when we're just kind of breezing through life on the fast track, going our own merry way without a thought for God, and God wants to know you desperately, sometimes He has to say, "All right, stop. I need your attention. Whatever that means, I need you to stop and focus. I need you to look at me, he says. I need you to pay attention. I love you. I'm trying to talk to you. You're not listening. So let me have your attention, please. And, and various ways accomplish that goal. Don't be too quick to pray people out of trouble. There may be something they need to get before they get out. And it may be more important than the trouble they're in. Secondly, God has already determined to make us over into the image of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. "...whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son." God wants to make you look like Jesus. Now, I don't mean that you look exactly like Jesus because you have your own personality, but He wants your personality in all of its uniqueness to reflect the character of His Son. And He has that as a goal. He wants you to look like Christ. Most of my life, I have had one form of chronic pain or another. And although I don't have a lot of pain today, there are some days when back pain and sciatic or whatever just drive me crazy. I'm just... And I don't run around talking about it a lot, but things happen inside of me in the management of that pain. I kind of turn into a snapping turtle. You know, the dog that's hurting and they're sleeping peacefully in the corner, but don't touch them because they will snarl. (laughs) And and so sometimes I find myself being irritable and then I get irritated because I'm irritable. Do Do you ever do that? Oh, I hate it that I'm irritable. Now I'm really irritated. I just get disgusted with myself. And then I remember that a cup, sometimes it takes a while to get this imagery, so listen. A cup, full of sweet water, cannot spill a single drop of bitter water, no matter how badly it's jarred. I closed my door this morning on my car. I had set my coffee on the roof, and it jarred the car enough to knock the coffee over, and I grabbed it. And I'm wearing a different shirt now than I started out with. The only thing that came out of that cup was coffee. (laughs) It came all over me, as a matter of fact. And if you're full of Jesus, no matter how much you're banged, bumped, jarred, or aggravated, the only thing that's going to come out is Jesus. And if something else is leaking out, it's because you're not full of Jesus. And what God says to me in those moments when I find myself leaking out Paul in all of my not glory is that I'm not full of Jesus. So let me ask you, what is better to get rid of the pain or to get more of Jesus to realize my lack? Well, if you're God, your goal in my life is going to be for me to be full of Christ. And he's going to be more concerned about that in the moment than he is. And I don't, I don't mean to make God look bad here. I don't have to defend him, but I just want you to understand. My pain is not as important as my spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. And it is important that I learn to let Jesus live through me, even when I hurt. It's important. It's important if you're in a relationship that is constantly in turmoil and struggling, and you're having a hard time, it is important that you learn to reflect Jesus Christ. That's very important. Most of the time, our desire, just get me out of here. Just get me out. And God says, oh, but I have some great things to show you. I don't care. Just get me out. God has also promised to bring us safely to His heavenly kingdom. Paul says, I I know and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him against that day. We, We were in our small group meeting Thursday night, and we were having a discussion, and I had a flash of insight that for some reason it had never occurred to me before in quite those stark terms. And that flash of insight was, God is never anxious or worried about us because he is in total control. You know, sometimes parents get worried and anxious or we get anxious in other relationships because we're afraid something's going to happen to a loved one and we can't control that. And so and so we're concerned about that. But you know God has always got everything in control. He's not going to lose anybody. Nothing can touch us if we're in Jesus Christ. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, yeah, you can get sick. You can have an accident. You can, you can have a terminal illness. There's all kinds of things that can happen to your body. But Jesus said, don't worry. What's the what's the biggest thing that could happen to us? From our viewpoint as human beings, what is our worst disaster? You could die. You know, this could be in your life. You could get killed. God says, don't worry about the one who can kill your body. He said that with a straight face. Don't worry about the guy that can take your life. Your physical life. Don't worry about that. Worry about the one that has the power to put your body and your soul in hell. That's God. Pay attention to Him. And He has no trouble keeping up with you. He has no trouble staying in control. There are people I love who have gone through things I wish they didn't have to go through. I wish I could have spared them. I would have done it differently. But you know, God says, I'm in control. They haven't jumped ship here. I can still handle this. And when it's all said and done, if they know me, I can bring them safely to my heavenly kingdom. I can hold fast what they've committed. I'm in charge. I'm not going to lose anybody even when they die. I have them in control. The Scripture actually says how precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His godly ones. Man, we don't have that viewpoint at all. But we need to understand from a Scriptural standpoint that death is not the worst thing. Death without Christ is the worst thing. But in Jesus, we are eternally safe. God also desires, one of His goals is that we be witnesses of His love. People told me stories as they were leaving this morning. This is very, very interesting. Because I was I was being honest and saying, you know, the last place on this planet that I ever want to be, besides jail, is a hospital. Now, I know some of you in the medical community that that offends you, and and I've been in hospitals all my life as a patient and as a caregiver and as a pastor. And I'm, I, I'm pretty familiar with hospitals, but I do not want to be a patient in a hospital. I would just tell you that straight up. I don't want to go anywhere near the place as a patient. I don't like that. Okay? But, what if there's someone there on the staff... Or in the medical community, what if there's someone there that needs to hear about Jesus? And you're the one God knows He can trust to tell them. How's He going to get you there? Are you willing? Are you willing to be a prisoner for Christ? Are you willing to be the witness? who is faithful in the worst of circumstances? Are you willing in the midst of the troubles of your life to so manifest Jesus Christ that someone who's watching looks at you and says, I don't understand you. How can you have such peace? How can you be so much in control of yourself when everything's falling apart and you can say to them, I know God. I have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. And every once in a while, someone will say, I need that. I need what you have. Several people on the way out this morning at the 8 o'clock service said, let me tell you a story. And and, and one woman, and she gave me permission to share this, she said, last year I received a diagnosis of breast cancer and I was not expected to live. But she said, in the course of my treatment, it was the serenity and peace that I had in Jesus Christ that touched everyone who took care of me. And she said we were able to talk to them about the Lord because they couldn't understand how we could face what we And she was standing here this morning. Um, They attend our church in the summer when they come up to this area to visit family. Otherwise, they're normally in Wheaton. But when they come up to this area and visit family, they attend our church. And she was here this morning smiling and joyful in the Lord. And she said, because I went through that, I was able to influence many people for Christ. And I thank the Lord. Whoa. That's not what we want. And and let me tell you something this morning. Don't go out of here and ask for something like that. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. Nobody in their right mind, if you want to get sick so you can witness, come talk to me. You're sick already. <laughs> you don't nothing needs to happen you. Just come on and talk to me, and I'll help you get straightened out right now because you're already sick. But But if you get sick, are you willing to be the voice of Jesus Christ in places you would never have access to? I heard another story about another person whose doctor had a face-to-face meeting with God because he was confounded and confused and frustrated over a case that was going badly. And the report was that he had spent all night, the doctor had spent all night seeking God because he didn't know what to do for this person. And in the course of that uh, soul-searching moment, referred the patient to to another specialized care center. And in the course of that, that doctor had a confrontation with Jesus Christ, with God, That has been transformational. Because another child of God was going through incredible suffering, it caused this doctor to evaluate the role of God in the care of his patients. Isn't that amazing? Are you willing to be that ambassador? You know, our first goal is to get out of trouble. God sometimes wants to use us in the trouble to bring the testimony and the witness of Jesus Christ. We don't like to talk about it, but the martyrs of the faith count it a privilege to be able to suffer and even die for the glory of Jesus Christ. And in America, man, that's the last thing we want to hear about. God is most concerned to bring about those things that will result in the accomplishment of His plans and His glory. Listen, God is after people for eternity. And when you signed up to follow Jesus, whether you knew it or not, you signed up for that agenda. Are you willing for your life to be used in any way that God chooses To influence people for eternity. See, when we go to prayer, again, our our first desire is, God, get me out of trouble. And what I'm suggesting to you this morning is there may be something bigger going on that we need to have a mind toward. So, intercession that arises out of understanding our context, remember the context? We're both matter and spirit, but we need to focus on the spirit. We're the target, we're, we're, we're going to be uh, uh, under attack, and the physical world is passing away. So get the bigger context, then understand God's goals. When we have the context and we see what God is after, then we can pray in a way that aligns our goals and desires with God's goals. And, and the Scripture says, how can two walk together on on the same path unless they're in agreement it's tough to walk walk along the same path with people you're not in agreement with and and when god asks the question he says how can you walk down the road with me if you don't want to go where i'm going how can you walk on the same path unless you're in agreement but when your goals and god's goals are on the same page as we say then you're in agreement then you can travel together Secondly, it gives us a perspective on specific circumstances. I have to ask myself, when things are things difficult are happening to me, why is this happening? Did I make this mess? Do I need to learn something from it? Am I under attack here? Does God have a different... What does God want to do in this situation? Yes, I don't like pain. I want out of pain. Yes, I want out of trouble. Yes, I want, I want everybody to be happy. I confess. I want everybody to be happy. I don't want any trouble in any, in anybody's life. I want everybody to be at peace. You know, when the scripture says, blessed are the peacemakers, man, I'm the most blessed of all. I want everybody to like everybody. You know, don't, don't ever get into an argument. Don't ever get into turmoil. Don't ever get into, let's all be happy. I'm, I'm all for that. But sometimes, Things are just tough. And I have to say, God, what are you up to? What is your goal? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to say to me? Sometimes one of the things God says to me, I've just told you kind of what my nature is. Sometimes God, what God says to me is, you know what, you need to confront. You need to speak the truth in love. You don't need to put up with this. You need to be straight. And that's hard for me, but that's what He says. This is what you have to do. Okay. What kind of opportunities exist in this situation? Will this deepen my relationship with God? I have never forgotten the insight that I learned when I was 12 years old. You say, so many people think that young people and children can't get it. Okay? I was 7 years old when I invited Jesus Christ into my life. I was 12 years old when I had open-heart surgery, and they opened my chest up, and they pulled it apart with a spreader, and they broke a rib on purpose, and they went in there and fixed things, and then I woke up in the intensive care in pain. That hurts. Every breath hurt. I was on morphine, but they could only give it to me every three or four hours. And so as the painkiller would wear off, the pain would rise up. And I would ask the nurse, can I have another shot? And she would say, not yet. And I would say, Lord, what do I need to do here? I was praying. And I had an image of Jesus Christ on the cross suffering. And if you know anything about crucifixion, and somehow or another I, I had some of this in my mind then, a large part of crucifixion is the agony of suffocation with the pressure on the, on the chest cavity. And Jesus said, when you feel this pain, think of what I did for you. I'm 12 years old, and this is God's answer to me. When you feel this pain, with your next breath, think of what I did for you. I have never forgotten that. I became intimately acquainted with the sufferings of Christ through suffering. And God gave me amazing insight into his love for me at that age. I don't even hardly remember that now. I mean, I don't remember what pain feels like. That's one of the nice things about pain. It doesn't have long-term memory. That's many years in my past. I've been through other surgeries since then. Those are also years in my past. But I haven't forgotten the lessons. That period is past. God was faithful. Here I stand today. The cardiovascular surgeon that did my surgery said, you won't live to see your 21st birthday if we don't do this. Well, I'm here. Next month I'll be 56. I'm fine. So that's all done with. But the experience had an invaluable lesson in growing in intimacy with Jesus Christ. What does God want to do? Does he want to make me look like Christ in this situation? Does he want me to share Christ with other people around me? Does He want to bring glory to God? What what does it mean to bring glory to God? It means to expose God's nature where other people can see it. That's bringing glory to God. You know, we talk about these terms and I don't think we think about what they mean sometimes. But to glorify God is to make other people aware of His character in a way that they can see it. Is there a way that God wants to become known in this situation. I realize that with a sermon like this. I'm not going to make it. On national television. With all the name claim it crowd. Let me tell you how to get a Mercedes through prayer. That's not going to happen. Based on what I just told you. I'm not going to be able to tell you that. But I do want us to realize. What. James says when he put it this way, when you pray, you don't get what you ask for because your goals are wrong. You just want to have your own desires met, and God can't give you those every time, and so you don't get what you want. If we want to be effective in prayer, we need to go down to the nitty-gritty and say, what is God after? What does He want to do? And Lord, I want to be on Your team. I want to be on Your side because I know the world's passing away. All the trouble I face will one day be history. But my relationship with You And my relationship with other people will last forever. And that's what matters. Lord, I want to get it right. Let me pray for the right stuff. Father, open our eyes that we can be effective prayer warriors. Teach us, Lord, how to put your goals out front. And seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, knowing that you will care for us in every other way. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.